Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, episode 140 of Two Minds. Last time, we covered the various German assaults in the far north, from Finnish territory into Soviet Russia, that accompanied Operation Barbarossa. Basically, there were two purposes for these. One, to capture the port city of Murmansk, so Lend-Lease material from the UK and the US could not get to Soviet Russia, and two, to tie down as many Soviet troops as possible in the far north, so they would be unable to come to the rescue of Leningrad. But as we saw, the five major offensives, the one aimed at the port city of Murmansk, another at Sala, along the north-central border between the two countries, that was to push to the Sea of White at Kandalaksha, a third to the south of that, as the Germans were aiming for Kastaga, the fourth around Yuka, and the last, the most southern, not counting the conflicts near Lake Lagoda, that started at Raboli, that pushed northeastwards. All of these had some initial success. But between the terrain, that severely limited panzer movement, the stubborn Russian resistance, not to mention their ability to reinforce from further east, the Germans and those Finns involved pushed themselves into exhaustion and stalemate along the entire northern and central border. By November, the five major assaults to the north of Leningrad were halted by Berlin. The men on the ground were ordered to dig in and hold. Jumping ahead a bit, Murmansk would stay in Soviet hands and receive Lend-Lease aid for the months of the year the port was open. And it was this material aid of the U.S. and Great Britain through here that helped Russia recover, if not decisively, then certainly quicker than Hitler estimated from its losses of 1941. And jumping ahead even further, the importance of Murmansk can easily be conveyed by a few statistics. And had Hitler known of these, he would have moved heaven and earth to capture the port city. As Archangel was frozen from November onwards for the winter, Murmansk and then both port cities during the warmer seasons would receive, during the first year of Barbarossa alone, 3,052 aircraft from the U.S., and the U.K. Germany started the war with Russia with 1,830 aircraft. Soviet Russia would also get 4,048 tanks. The Germans came at Russia with 3,580 armored vehicles. And finally, the two Lend-Lease countries sent, during the first year of Barbarossa, 520,000 motor vehicles of all kinds whereas the Germans started with 600,000. 
By the end of 1942, the supplies coming into Soviet Russia practically made up for all those lost during the outset of the war, when German planes and tanks smashed seemingly incalculable amounts of Soviet war equipment. On paper, the Finnish military had a lot to offer Germany as a limited ally. In early June of 1941, the Finns had mobilized 16 divisions, two brigades on bicycles, and one brigade of cavalry, some 450,000 men. And by this time, it had acquired some British and captured Soviet tanks, totaling seven platoons worth, German artillery, 105mm and 120mm guns, and 152 aircraft. Its leaders had recently fought Soviet Russia, and though they lost, had learned much from their experiences. The military of Finland also burned to recapture what they had lost during the Winter War. Yet, that was it. They were not fully committed to the downfall of Russia, or even a German victory. They were being used, and in turn were using the offer of Germany. Still, they had to offer the Germans something in return for all those automatic weapons and large guns. It was decided that the Finns would move against and neutralize the Soviet position at Hanko, the important port city on the western edge of the Gulf of Finland, and move down on either side of Lake Ladoga thus threatening and, again, pinning down Soviet troops around Leningrad, while also setting up a blocking position on the other side, the eastern side of the lake. This the Finns were happy to do, as it would stop the Soviets from heading north into Karelia, which was otherwise hard to defend. When Operation Barbarossa commenced, Finland declared its neutrality. But clearly, large numbers of German troops were in Finland, by the permission of the government. What's more, Luftwaffe raids on Soviet positions had initiated from Finnish soil. So, as to not lose the initiative, Soviet forces attacked into Finnish territory, and Soviet air attacks targeted Finnish cities in the south. Though all involved knew what was going on and what was going to happen, Finland declared that, de facto, a state of war existed between itself and Soviet Russia during the evening of June 25th. Yet the Finnish troops to the south did not move against the Soviets until July 10th, as General Heinrich's army of Karelia, just north of Yanis Lake, itself just north of Lake Ladoga, attacked Soviet positions moving southeast. And because the Finns outnumbered their hated enemy and desired to reclaim their land, their initial moves were powerful and overwhelming. Using Lake Ladoga as a reference point, the Finnish Sixth Corps and another force labeled Group O entered Soviet territory, formerly Finnish territory, above Yanis Lake, and recaptured Kapusel Kayaya along the new border. The Finnish Jaegers, light troops on bicycles, moved on from there, pushing back the Soviet 71st Rifle Division, and took Muwanto, some 25 miles, or 40 kilometers, to the southeast on July 14th. This fighting took place to the north-northeast of Ladoga. Then, some of the Finns on bikes 
turned south and captured Kior Inoye on the northeast corner of Lake Ladoga two days later. Meanwhile, Finnish soldiers from the 6th and 7th Corps, stationed just north of Lake Ladoga and just east of Yanis Lake, moved out, heading south, and pushed on to the Yanis River, in between Lakes Yanis and Ladoga, and now threatened Sortavala on the top of Lake Ladoga by July 17th. Getting back to those cycling Jaegers, those troops pushed on from Koryinoye, continuing down the eastern coast of Ladoga, and after a tough three-day battle, took Salmi, 10 miles or 16 kilometers further south, on July 21st. They were now halfway to the Severe River, and all the way, at least here, to recapturing territory taken by the Soviets. Three days later, the Stavka took a break from directing troops against the Germans to order a counterattack against the Finns. Suddenly, on the most northern attacking unit of this theater, the German understrength 163rd Infantry Division found itself stalled at Suvilakti, located between Ladoga and Lake Onega to the northeast. The Germans also found themselves isolated due to terrain. What's more, those Finnish troops near Sortavala, at the top of Ladoga, now found themselves intensely fighting the Soviet 168th Rifle Division just to maintain their threat of taking the city. And this would go on for the rest of July. During this phase of the battle, now that the initial thrusts were being stymied, the Luftwaffe would normally come in to help break the logjam. Yet the resources dedicated to Finland were nowhere near what they were to the south. Between relatively small numbers of aircraft and uncooperative weather, the German-Finnish air threat was not what it could have been. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com The number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com that's yahoofinance.com. As for the stretch of land just north of Leningrad, Finnish Marshal Mannerheim ordered the Second Corps to move south and make for the Volsalma River, just 60 miles or 96 kilometers short of the major city. This impressive waterway would have to be crossed before Pakola, just on the other side, could be taken 
which would then open up the way to the northern approaches to Leningrad. The Finnish troops moved out on August 13th. Though the Soviet 43rd and 115th Rifle Divisions attempted to block the way to the Volsama, the Finnish soldiers came at them hard and pushed them back. By August 18th, the Finn 18th Division had reached the river. Yet, it was not time to push on to Leningrad. First, Vyberg, to the west, had to be wrestled from the Russians to secure their right flank. Blocking this hope was the Soviet 123rd Rifle Division. But instead of another costly frontal assault at Vyberg, it was decided by Mannerheim to kill two birds with one stone. Once the Volsama River was crossed, not only would Leningrad be threatened, but then troops could be turned right or to the west and approach Vyberg from the east, making its defense untenable. So the attack across the river commenced on August 22nd. Yet the Russians here were fighting just as hard as those at Bielystok. They gave ground, but slowly, while costing the Finns many casualties. It wasn't until three days later that a bridgehead could be established. But now that it was, troops were sent west to help encircle Vyborg. There, three Soviet rifle divisions were trapped, and time was not on their side, as more enemy troops would be sent to make sure these men could not escape. So the Soviets counterattacked to the south and managed to punch a hole in the lines around them. So two of the three rifle divisions, the previously pushed aside 43rd, who then marched to Vyberg for protection, and the 123rd could escape. Yet these men were not ordered to head to Leningrad, and probably would not have made it, as the leading elements of the Finnish troops were now between Vyborg and the approaches to Leningrad. Instead, they headed due south, along the coast. With only one remaining rifle division in Vyborg, the Finns entered the northern section of the town. But as planned, the 3rd Rifle Division desperately fought their way out of the trap, and like the other divisions, headed south. Their goal was a section of the coastline directly across from Koivisto Island, where Soviet naval ships were waiting to transport the last division to the island. But their battle wasn't over. In late November, they would be taken aboard the ships again and deposited at Leningrad to help with the defense there if they only knew what their next few years would be like. But this was not the only amphibious operation of the war in the north. When the Finns first started coming at Leningrad, three Soviet rifle divisions, the 142nd, the 168th, and the 198th, found themselves trapped within the city of Kirkioki, roughly at the 10 o'clock position around Ladoga. In late August, they were saved by being transported by the Ladoga flotilla across the lake to live to fight another day. Meanwhile, the Finns were coming closer to Leningrad. The Soviet 50th, 23rd, and 19th Rifle Divisions tried to hold them back. The last division mentioned even mounted its own, though ineffectual, counterattack. But the Finn 4th and 1st Corps came south. By the end of August, the Soviets found themselves now behind the 1939 border. But before the month was out, the defenders were pushed back 
a few more miles. Now a new line was formed, starting just north of the outlying area of Leningrad, running northeast to the coastline of Ladoga. The defenders dug in. The Finns strengthened their line. Yet the Germans were about to find out. The Finns just north of Leningrad no longer considered themselves on the offensive. Their outlook was now defensive. In this area, they had gotten what they came for. And as there was no binding agreement between the so far impressive Finland and Germany, the conversations between the two would grow more terse. Before August was out, Field Marshal Keitel wrote a letter to Mannerheim requesting that the Finns push further south on the eastern side of Ladoga, past the Severe River. The Germans wanted the Finns to link up with von Lieb's forces that had driven around Lake Ilmen so as to truly encircle Leningrad. The Finnish leadership huddled. First off, pertaining to Leningrad, that was a non-starter. Taking the city was clearly a German task. As for the official German request, the Finns did not believe von Lieb's men would get past Volkhal, directly south of Ladoga, which meant they would have to push far past the Severe and come around the southern end of the lake to link up, exposing their troops to all kinds of Soviet counterattacks from the south. The Finns felt comfortable enough fighting in their forests and rough terrain. They were far less so at the idea of coming out into the open territory of the Soviets. But how does one say no to Nazi Germany, to Keitel, to Hitler? On September 4th, General Yodel, the chief of operations at OKW, arrived at Marshal Mannerheim's headquarters. With him, in an, I'm sure, impressive box, were all three classes of the Iron Cross for the Marshal, for all he had done, and perhaps what he may yet do. The meeting between Yodel and Mannerheim was long, but when they left the room, the Marshal announced, on that very day, the Finnish forces would continue on to the Severe River. Yet, this was not simply an exchange of medals for further military cooperation. The advance had already been agreed to, as a severe made for a good defensive position. But it was the timing of the attack that was, perhaps, altered. For clearly the Finns, having pushed so far, so fast, had to be exhausted. No, the real stick that accompanied the shiny carrots was the promise of grain from Germany for the Finnish people. Yet in the end, the Finns would not go far enough to satisfy the Germans, especially after events took a turn for the worst for Army Group North. Mannerheim and President Risto Ritti recognized a slippery slope when they saw one. So the Finns would move towards the severe, but not before one of the longest and more intense artillery barrages to date was finished. Only afterward did the 6th Corps come on, push aside the shocked Soviet 3rd Rifle Division, and reach the severe three days later. The next day, September 8th, units from the 17th Finnish Division captured the severe station, which cut one more rail line to Murmansk. Along the Severe River, on its southern side, only the 114th Siberian Rifle Division blocked the Finns 
Not that they were enthusiastic about going any further south. So the Siberian rifle was able to hold out, and soon Moscow sent them reinforcements, who may not have been fully trained or equipped, but it was enough to hold up the Finns, who were now more than content. But there was one more theater for the Finns to push towards, in not only fulfilling their obligation to Germany, but also to help secure their newly reclaimed territory. And that was the area just to the west and north of Lake Oniga, just east of Ladoga. Yet, because of terrain and logistics, it wasn't until October 1st that Petrozavosk, located halfway along the western coast of Lake Oniga, was captured by 7th Corps. Yet it took two weeks of solid fighting before the stalwart Russians could be encouraged to vacate. Then the Finnish forces split as they moved north to go around either side of Lake Lism, to the northwest of Oniga, to make sure all Soviet forces there were either destroyed or pushed east. The Finns would be happy with either result. Yet, when the capture of Medyev Yegorsk came at the top of Onega, it was topped off with the destruction of two Soviet rifle divisions, and another rail line to Murmansk was cut. Three days later, the Soviets, without direct pressure from Finnish forces, evacuated the port city of Hanko to the far west. At this point, the Finns truly considered their war over. Mannerheim had all forces go over to the defensive, even those north of Leningrad. The Stavka would figure this out sooner rather than later and remove some of the units just north of the city to help harass units from Army Group North, which had its own consequences. As many rail lines as had been cut that went on to Murmansk, and more were than mentioned here, there were always other lines further east. The Luftwaffe would do what it could to cut those other lines, even destroying the more important ones more than 100 times in 1941 alone. But these, as Stalin made damn sure, were always quickly repaired. Before the year was out, Luftwaffe pilots would say they would rather fly over London three times than go over Murmansk, due to its circle after circle of anti-aircraft fire once. The Soviet lifeline to the north had to be kept open at all costs. And it was. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So, first of all, yeah, I know this was a short episode, but it's my birthday weekend, so please tolerate me. And uh, just to let everybody know, we will be doing the drawing for the members for the Harry's Kit uh, next time, next episode, which comes out on the 26th. So if you're a member, you're in for the drawing, or if you want to be in for the drawing, you've got another week to uh, sign up for membership. And there are 60-something episodes waiting for you, so I hope you enjoy those. So as always, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week with another episode. Take care, everyone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding 
or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.